Victoria College is a public, open admission college. Our mission is to provide educational opportunities and services for our students and the communities we serve. For more information, please visit us at www.victoriacollege.com to schedule your tour. And welcome into episode 53 of The Grid, the Daryl Dawkins and Bill Romanowski episode. And the show, the only sports show that won't be talking about Deion Sanders. Unless, Mike, do we got time? No, he's, sh- no, he's shaking his head. All right, episode 53 of The Grid. I'm Gabe Myers. Alongside me, as usual, Jeremiah Sosa and Mike Foreman. And guys, week three of the high school football season brought us some incredible games. Refurio and Edna, Victoria East played a, you know, a ranked Gregory Portland team tough. Cuero Yoakum was awesome as well. Guys, let's get right into it. I want to start, you know, I have a little bias here, and I'm and I'm on, I'm the one on the mic right now. So I want to start in Refurio, the game I was at, Refurio and Yoakum. And um, we, we kind of had a bombshell dropped on us Saturday night slash Sunday morning when uh, we found out that the overtime rules had changed and the referees did not adhere to the new overtime rules. So we'll kind of start there and Mike, I'll throw it, I'll throw it to you and you, and we can, uh, we can talk, we can talk about, you know, kind of that breaking story and what the fallout has been from there. Well, it was, it was interesting. I, you know, I, I saw the final, I saw your story and I thought, wow, you know, another typical Refurio Edna game, just crazy. Uh, so then Saturday afternoon, it was late in the afternoon, I'm out, and I get a phone call from Carl Padilla of the Padilla Report, and he says, did you cover Refurio Edna? And I said, no, uh, Gabe did. He said, uh, do you know they uh, screwed up in that game, or do you know the overtime rules? And I said, no. He said, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the overtime rules now say you're supposed to go for two points after the uh, – First overtime in the second overtime. And then after that, you do the two-point conversion thing where you just line up for the two-point. So I said, man, no, I did not know that. So the first thing I did when I got home was looked up the UIL rules, Mm -hmm. and it says in overtime refers we follow NCAA rules. So I looked up NCAA rules, and sure enough, there it is in black and white that in the second overtime you were supposed to go for two points. Uh, so obviously the officials uh, did not know that, yeah. and uh, you know that's disappointing. I mean, uh, like I pointed out, I said this on Twitter, and I, I responded, uh, "Miss calls are going to happen. You know, refs are human; they miss calls, they're out of position, or whatever. Those things happen in a game. But as far as knowing the rules, that that should they should know the rules. That's inexcusable." And, uh, you know, whether or not it affected the outcome, who knows? I mean, if, let's say, Refiro lined up to go for two and made it, mm. you know, we don't really know what would have happened. The, the good thing, I will say, fortunately, this was a non-district right. game. And, and, and that's that's yeah. what I said. Matt, yeah. Matt Stepp, who's kind of the, uh, you know, he's the guy when it comes to Texas high school football. He had... You know, I get he had been talking about it, and he found my tweet and said, "Oh, here we go. This did indeed happen." And I, my first response as well, like you know, kind you know, kind of sucks that that you know, an awesome game is kind of you know marred a little bit with hey, what could have happened there? But also, 
is a non-district game. It wasn't a playoff game. You know, now the rankings are affected. The records are affected. But ultimately, as far as playoff positioning, as far as both of these teams potential to win a state championship and our path to get to the state championship potentially it's not affected at all so that's the good thing i actually thought uh edna's head coach jimmy mitchell said it best post game when i talked to him he said the way i see it we played to a draw we had been out here for three hours i wanted to go for two in the win we just didn't get it um and that's kind of how i felt watching the game the first you know the first two quarters and kind of the start of the third quarter, Edna controlled the game, and then Refurio came on and they controlled the game for about tw- you know twenty minutes there and missed a field. They missed a field goal, and Edna goes back and scores. They end up tying the game, so it was really a back and forth, topsy turvy game. And you had mentioned something to me that I wasn't even aware of. It was Jaden Clay. He hadn't thrown a pick yet this year. Yeah. He throws three against Refurio. I mean, that just kind of speaks to the wild nature of this one. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is about that that game. It just brings out crazy things. I mean, things that don't usually happen. Um, you know, uh, Refurio, of course, relied heavily on Jordan King, you know, uh, He's obviously a beast when he's in there. He, he is a monster, and it was almost – and obviously he's really good, so you're not surprised he played well. No. Kind of the flow of the game was surprising in a sense because you've seen Edna in person. Yeah. They are big on the uh, defensive line. Uh-huh. So you kind of see them against Refurio, and we had talked about this last week where, let's see, Refurio's offensive line is pretty young. Let's see how this matchup plays out. Well, Refurio, when they got into the second half, they were the ones winning the line of scrimmage. It was them tiring out Edna's defensive front, which when you looked at, not that Refurio's small on the offensive line by any stretch, but you look at Edna's size on the defensive line, that was almost shocking. And you saw Jordan King breaking big run after big run, and they had no answer for him. Yeah, and the good thing, like we talked about, I mean, both Refurio and Edna are going to look at this, be able to look at this tape and see where they have, weaknesses uh, obviously i think edna exposed some of uh Refiro's deficiencies in the secondary mm-hmm. and of course edna is now going to have to figure out a way that when they face a team that likes to run the ball a lot mm-hmm. and you know maybe like a franklin for instance you know they have to tighten up that defense so it's good and um uh, there is a little interesting uh kind of follow-up to this story um I texted Jimmy Mitchell, uh, I think it was on, uh, it was probably Monday, and uh, or Sunday, I think it was. Yeah, Sunday, and he, I asked him, I said, did you get a text from the, the officials? Yeah. He said, yeah, I got one yesterday. And then, I think it was, it may have been yesterday, I don't remember, probably Monday, I got a text from Jimmy saying, guess what? We have the same crew for the Sinton game. And I'm going, oh, my gosh. And um, so I, I eventually texted him back, asking him, or you, you can request a change. I mean, Sinton would have to agree to it. But under the circumstance, you would think they would. But uh, Jimmy said, no, we're just going to ride with it. And, uh, yeah. you know, I, I, I would think that this crew will bend over backwards <laughs> to make sure that Edna gets gets a fairly well, tall game. Well, and I'll say this, it, it's kind of a shame because anytime there's a big game in high school sports, there's a group of people that will always, the officiating, the yeah. officiating, oh, they had it out for us, oh, they didn't call this, or whatever, whatever. And outside of the glaringly obvious error in double overtime, 
I thought it was actually a pretty well officiated game. There weren't, it wasn't a game marred by penalties. It wasn't, you know, you didn't outside of, you know, a couple holding calls or a couple unsportsmanlike calls. You didn't really know the officials were there. They weren't part of the fabric of the game until they were 24 hours later. So that, you know, it's, so it's a shame in a sense because I didn't think it was a poorly officiated game. We're talking about this. Two things we haven't mentioned yet. One, Edna had the 85-yard fumble return yeah. for a touchdown and to start the third quarter. And when that happened, I thought, man, it's just it's just yeah. not Refurio's night. Edna came out hair on fire. It looks like they're going to run away with this. Refurio then bounces back, takes a 35-27 lead. And then the second thing, so we're talking about two-point conversion opportunities as we go into double OT. Edna was down 35-27 at the end of the game. They go down, they score 35-33. They ran their best two-point play just to get the ball in, just to get the game into overtime. So that plays a part in it as well as once they got to double OT and they decided to go for it and go for the win, they had to um, they, they had to go to their number two two-point play and Refurio called timeout ahead of time. They tried to leak. They tried to leak a tight end out of the backfield. Refurio was ready for it. They get the stop. Really interesting game. See how it played out. I was impressed. Really, both sides. The resiliency Refurio showed early in the third quarter when they they're down twenty to fourteen going into the half. They you know Brown and King are leading them on a great drive to start the third quarter, and it looks like okay they're going to go and score and take control of the game and take the lead for the first time. Fumble at the fifteen yard line, scoop and score for Edna, and it would have been so easy for them to break in that moment, and they did not. I was impressed with them. Other thing I was impressed with, Edna, so that happens. Refurio goes on a 21-0 run themselves, so it's 35-27. And Rodas was hurt. Cade Rodas, Edna's outstanding running back. He, you know, he was kind of limping around out there. He, he was ultimately okay. He, you know, still impacted the game in the fourth quarter and in OT. Um, but he was limping around. One of their receivers were hurt. And Edna, like, watching them on the field, it was like, man, it, it looked like they were either broken or about to break. And that, you know... It was just going to be another, like, Refurio wears teams down at the end. And Edna refused to let that happen to them. And they come back and send a, you know, send a, send the game into overtime. So, Mike, you had said both teams are going to be able to look at film, take good, take bad, see where they, you know, they were exposed a bit and how they can improve. That's what I took away from this game is, man, both these teams, once they get into district play and then ultimately into the postseason, are going to be a problem for opponents. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, I had some people coming to me say, ah, oh, you need to write a column, you know. And I'm like, hey, you know, they made a mistake, and and it shouldn't have happened. But look at the situation we're in. We have a shortage of officials. We have games being played on Thursday night because there aren't enough officials. And, uh, you know, what what purpose would it serve to go out there and rip them? I mean, I've done it before. I mean, with and Edna was involved uh, – I'm sure people at Edna remember back when they, uh, I believe they played Blanco in a playoff game, and they had a touchdown taken away because his kid raised his hand in the sky and they flagged him, oh, where uh, Blanco had done the same thing and didn't get a flag. Well, that, that to me was egregious and shouldn't have happened. But in a situation like this, I would say from now on, I, this mistake will not be made again you know the overtime oh yeah it's it's been so discussed now yeah. so public every official every official knows this yeah so it but you know being there this was my time my first time covering Refurio. that was a fun game yeah and <laughs> uh you know something i should mean i did call an official i know and asked him about it and he said what his problem was that they they had a crew 
it's not just the referee. You have a whole crew. He said someone on that crew should have known the rule and should have spoken up. And, and we apparently were talking they about, didn't. And we were talking about it in the press box as well. They changed the college overtime rule. Is the high school yeah. rule different now? Because I don't think we're, that cha- that change happened. I think two or three seasons ago yeah. where Furio doesn't play a ton of overtime games. Yeah. Neither does Edna. So it hasn't really happened to them since. And we were discussing it didn't change. And once we kind of saw, oh, okay, Refiero kicking the ball, I guess it hasn't changed. <laughs> so we were just kind of going based on their lead. So it is a little like shocking in a sense. Cause it's like no one, again, no one knew, but what, what a game that was down in Refiero. Excited to see, you know, for Refiero, probably their last close game for a while for Edna. Excited to see them get in the district play. Uh, Mike, you were at a heck of a game as well out in Cuero. Cuero and Yoakum, a rivalry game, and a rivalry game that, you know, lived up to the hype this year. Uh, talk about what you saw. Cuero wins, but Yoakum's for real. Yeah, it was a crazy game, you know. It was on the 50th anniversary of their state championship team, which, of course, they had a big reception beforehand, and uh, – there were quite a few members of that team that made the trip for the game, and uh, the Quero side was packed. Yoakum was almost full, and there were people standing up watching the game. And boy, before you even sit down, I mean, Yoakum's up 14 to nothing. Uh, you know, third play from scrimmage, uh, Yoakum uh, Barnett picks off a pass and returns it for a touchdown. Uh, then the kickoff comes, Quero doesn't move fast enough to cover it, and Yoakum recovers next play, touchdown pass uh, from Zach Taylor. And uh, and then before you can even say anything, uh, they kick off and Dalen Gibbs returns it for a touchdown. So it's 14-7, to and we're not even like two minutes into the game. And uh, the first quarter ends 21-21. And then it kind of settled down where, you know, both teams were – playing a little better defense. And uh, I think uh, that uh, that uh, Yoakum coach Bo Robinson said it best. I think Quero eventually wore Yoakum down. Um, Quero has a good front offense yeah. and defense, and they don't have a lot of guys, I don't think, going both ways, and uh, Yoakum does. And uh, that uh, that was ultimately proved the difference. But uh, – and, and Bo also said something interesting to me about he didn't feel like they're in great shape yet. He said, you know, we run all the time, but until you play games, you really can't get in game shape. And that and, and the Quarrel lesson from this game is I guarantee you they're going down to play Cal Allen this week. And you you turn the ball over four times against Cal Allen, you're going to get beat. So they have to cut down on their turnovers. Yeah, Kyle Allen just, you know, put it on Flower Bluff yeah. pretty good. And Flower Bluff beat Bernie. So that, you know, yeah. kind of that 4A right now is so uh, – it's kind of so fickle how it's all uh, how it's all working out. We All three of us got the chance to see Cuero this year, you this week, me in week one, Jeremiah in the scrimmage. All of us have talked about, hey, their defensive front, you know, they look, you know, they looked really, really good. And, you know, you mentioned not having to play both ways and that, you know, that playing that playing a part in it was it just was it just as simple as hey their offensive defensive line they just kind of took over the game as it went on kind of I mean you know uh, Yoakum had uh, they were they were getting a lot of pressure on Taylor and they were doing a good job of keeping him in the pocket yeah. you know um, he had some passes he's a good passer but uh, they did a good job of that and I felt like that ultimately probably was the difference in the game and. 
you know, once they stop turning it over. Yeah, talk about what you saw from Zach Taylor because he's almost a great unknown in this region because, you know, Arm, so Division One committees going to Army at quarterback, coming into Yoakum. This is his first year at Yoakum, so there is, you know, we don't know a ton about him. The schools in the area don't know a ton about him. This was your first time seeing seeing him in a game. What was what was your takeaway watching him? Because Yoakum's obviously went over Cameron Yo. They beat Industrial decisively. They played a back and forth game with Quero. So Yoakum's impressed through three weeks. What was your takeaway watching him in person? Well, my takeaway was I I kind of just assumed maybe he was just this fast quarterback that would get out on the edge and. But he, he can throw the ball accurately, and uh, he can get out on the edge if you let him. You're in trouble, but because uh, he's very fast. But uh, I was impressed. You know, I'm I'm not sure if Army recruited him as a quarterback or what, but uh, I think he could run that offense that they run. I mean, he's he uh, he seems to be a, a smart quarterback. He knows how to re- look at defenses. So, um, you know, I was impressed. Well, and a coach's kid, that's one of the first yeah. things Bo Robinson said to me during the offseason. was like, hey, he's a coach's kid, so picking up the offense, do it, you know, doing the mental side that the quarterback needs to do is not really an issue for him. Uh, that district's going to be so fun when it gets going. Hallettsville, Yoakum, Hitchcock, and Columbus, that's going to be yeah. – uh, that's that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun one to watch when they get started here in a couple of weeks. Jeremiah, you stayed home this week. You were at Memorial Stadium and Victoria East. They dropped a game to a new newly five A D two ranked Gregory Portland team. GP was a team I saw. You know they scrimmaged Victoria West uh, during the uh, you know they scrimmaged Victoria West week before the season started. I was impressed with GP. I thought they looked pretty good. Um, Victoria East started off strong, kind of felt, you know, it fell off towards the end a little bit. Jeremiah, what'd you see? What'd you see in this one? Yeah, they did uh, start off pretty strong. They had a 20 to 7 lead after the first quarter. And, uh, you know, granted, it was a few Gregory Portland mistakes, uh, you know, fumble. And then uh, I think it was a muff kick on a, uh, you know, kick kickoff. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they started off pretty hot, that 27 lead. And then uh, after that, they kind of, uh, you know, made a few mistakes in the second quarter, uh, two fumbles. Um, uh, but but uh, Coach Reeve, uh, you know, he kind of took the blame himself. He said that, you know, this is a team that can't make those mistakes. And, uh, you know, he, he thought that, you know, they're better than that. And, and then uh, Gregory Portland, they went on to score 28 unanswered points, you know, over the next few quarters. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a tough, uh, you know, loss for Victoria East. Uh, they had a hard time stopping the run, uh, over 400 yards rushing from Gregory Portland. I know. Gabe, you mentioned last week, uh, you know, you saw one good running back. Uh, if it's the same guy, it's uh, Gabriel Juarez. He had over 200 yards himself and a few, I think it was four touchdowns. So, uh, you know, it was. That, the, that sounds like the guy I saw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that, that was definitely the guy, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Um, and, you know, they, had, they also had a few other running backs that, you know, contributed towards that 400 uh, rushing yards. So, uh, you know, East, uh, you know, they got a bye week uh, this week, and, uh, you know, after a tough loss like that, I think they just got to kind of regroup and, um, you know, try to try to overcome that loss and, you know, get ready for district play in a few weeks. Yeah, Gregory Portland's head coach, uh, Brent Davis, he's now been there. I think this is year four for him there now, and he's a decorated guy, highly thought of guy. So, it, you know, first couple of years at Gregory Portland were tough for him, but he seems to kind of gotten that program rolling now. And that, you know, that's a – 
That you know, West got them in the scrimmage. East played them last week. That's a good game for these Victoria area schools to get on the schedule because that you know that's a good team over there, and I think helps you prepare for you know Vets and uh, Miller, the teams you have to play in district play that are really really good. So I'm ex- you know looking to you know looking to see how that goes. Um, when you know they start district play here in a couple of weeks, I'll be on a bye this week. We'll talk more about that in a second. Uh, Victoria West drops to zero and three following a loss to Alice thirty. 30- uh, 35-26. Um, yeah, for West, it, you know, it hasn't come together yet. The defense was a little bit better this time around, but it was, you know, kind of what Boyce expected where Alice was about two-thirds run, one-third pass, and stopping the run has been a problem for Victoria West this season. Now, I think they're fortunate as they get in a district play. Most of the teams are spread and like to throw the football. So for their defense, that plays a little more to their strengths because they're not the biggest on a defensive front. But again, they're about to go into the bye week, and we'll talk about that in the next segment. But there's, you know, there's some things to clean up. Uh, Jay Steen and Kamari Montgomery were both back in the lineup. You know, Montgomery played really well. Steen, it was, you know, the leading returning receiver from last year. Uh, He was dealing with an injury. He came back, was, you know, did impact the game, but was not, you know, probably the full version of himself. So I know they're looking forward to getting him, you know, another, another two full weeks of practice as they head into district play. Uh, but the Warriors, they started 0-3 in uh, non-district last year. They were able to turn it around and, you know, ultimately get a couple rounds deep in the playoffs. So, that you know, they're hoping for a similar story uh, this season. And before we close out this first segment, we want to talk about uh, some, co- you know, some local, local guys making, uh, making an impact collegiately. And I'm sure a lot of us watched Texas and Alabama Saturday night, and we saw some familiar faces, uh, Jonathan Brooks and uh, Jordan Winnington making an impact. You saw Brooks kind of the game-sealing touchdown there in the fourth quarter to make it 34-24 Longhorns. Brooks is the Longhorns' leading rusher, uh, 14 carries, 51 yards, and a touchdown. Whittington had three for three catches for 44 yards. Uh, Mike talked about his blocking a minute ago. When I saw the stat line, it felt like he made more of an impact than just a three for 44. Like, just watching the game, I thought Whittington was a little more impactful than that. Uh, but, obviously, great win for the Longhorns. Now ranked fourth in the country, highest since 2009. Texas is, dare I say, they're 2-0. and I'm not going to say the other word. Um, and uh, uh, Ruben Owens uh, playing for A&M down in Miami. He was also on national TV this week. A&M obviously got the loss. Owens, he made an impact in the receiving game in the first half, uh, three catches for 35 yards. But my aunt, A&M, after the first quarter, couldn't get much going running the ball. Owens just five for seven yards. But he's getting on the field. And, again, freshmen, they tend to play more as the season go on, goes on. So I'm excited to see, you know, what's to come from him in the next few months as the college football season progresses but that'll do it for our first segment here, episode 53 of The Grid. We're going to hear a message from White Trash Services and talk about what's to come in week four. Stay tuned. I'm joined by BJ Nelson. BJ, White Trash Services, what is it and, and, and what do y'all do? Well, thank you for asking. We gather trash in the counties around the Crossroads area. We've been in business for eight years, and we have dumpster, trash can, and roll-off companies. And, you know, y'all are y'all are big advocates for, for sports throughout the Crossroads region. Just what makes y'all want to sponsor uh, all, all high school sports throughout the Victoria area? High school sports are amazing. One, they keep kids out of trouble. It teaches them about character, teaches them about right and wrong, uh, how to do better in life. You learn a lot of life skills in sports and especially football. 
And how can someone get a hold of White Trash Services to start their service, rent a roll-off, or apply to be a part of your team? You can give us a call at 361-550-1826. I have a team of ladies that answer the phone and gentlemen. So give us a call anytime, 8 to 5 during the day, and uh, we'd be happy to visit with you about any of those things. And we are back, episode 53 of The Grid. We won't talk about Deion Sanders getting his second win at Colorado, but we will talk about Travis Reeve getting his 100th win this this weekend, head coach of the El Campo Ricebirds, of course at Cuero for quite a bit of time, want to say championship over there. Uh, Mike, we were talking, um, you know, it makes a difference when Oliver Miles is back there at quarterback. That helps. Oh, yeah, back at quarterback and at safety, uh Quite a game for Oliver on his way back. I, I talked to him Monday. He said he still feels a little rusty. You know, he's still not quite in shape. But uh, that's a really good sign for El Campo. And uh, I'm happy for Travis because, you know, it, the first two games are very tough. I mean, they, let's face it, they play Cuero and Miller. Man, to go to Corpus and beat Veterans Memorial is, is a good feat. Yeah. So uh, that's a very good sign for El Campo. Yeah, I know that kind of raised some eyebrows, across, you know, across the crossroads and across South Texas, you know, seeing it because, you know, veterans is, you know, they've become a premier program in the area. So, and of course, losing to Miller a week before, everyone's starting to draw conclusions, but it's like, hey, you know, number, you know, Oliver Miles wasn't back there against Miller. He makes just a bit of a difference, just a bit. Uh, well, we're into week four, and for Jeremiah and I, that means we're looking for what to do because Victoria East and Victoria West are on a bye week this week. But we got football games to cover this week, regardless of the Victoria schools being off. Uh, Mike, you'll be watching Yoakum again this week. Calhoun and Yoakum, that'll be an interesting game. You just watch Yoakum this week. We know how Calhoun plays. How do you anticipate that game kind of playing out? Well, if ever there was a contrast in styles, this is it. I mean, Yoakum and a lot of speed, big plays. Calhoun liked to grind it out, you know, like uh, they had 21 first downs against Sinton, and that's exactly what they want to do against Yoakum is uh, keep the ball away from Yoakum because, uh, you know, Yoakum can strike on any play. and um, they Calhoun can't match Yoakum's speed. There's no way. So I, I think that's pretty straightforward as to what has to happen. Calhoun needs to keep the ball, make first downs. Yoakum needs to get Calhoun off the field and get its offense on the field. And, you know, the thing that's kind of neat about this game, and I've, I've written about this, is uh, Bo Robinson and uh, Richard Whitaker are really close friends. Mm. So it's kind of funny. Uh, they pulled some pranks on each other and uh, – you know, they like to go back and forth. Uh, they became uh, good friends when they were on the selection committee for people that have been around a while. Remember when the Coaches Association used to have an all-star game every mm. year? And they were on the selection committee, and they actually roomed together up at Fort mm. Worth. And that's when they became, you know, close friends. But, uh, yeah, very much a contrast of styles. Driving is a proud sponsor of The Grid. Thrivent believes money is a tool, not a goal. Thrivent financial advisor Carly Herrig works with clients to create financial strategies that reflect their priorities and help them protect the things that matter most, like family and giving back. 
currently can be reached at 361-223-7883 or connect.thrivent.com backslash true-path-planning. Yeah, one of the things I'm really interested in that game is time of possession. Does Yoakum adjust their style a little bit just to maybe keep their defense off the field? Do they start, you know, winding down the play clock? Because, you know, it sounds like the big plays for them are just going to come. But do they, instead of, you know, having 70-second drives, they try to push it to two-minute drives just to give, you know, their defensive line, namely, just a little bit of a a little bit of a break from defending the triple option. Curious to see, you mentioned the difference in styles. That'll be a, a fun one to watch just to see what, you know, kind of which style wins there. Uh, Jeremiah, you'll be at Tidehaven and Industrial, and that's, you know, t- Industrial big win against uh, Shiner a couple weeks ago. Tidehaven, they look like one of the one of the really, really good teams in 3A. Joseph Dodds, obviously one of the very best players we have in the area. Baylor commit at running back. Talk about, you know, what you're expecting, what you're looking forward to in that one. Yeah, well, when you look at Tidehaven's, uh, you know, schedule these past three weeks, they've they've dominated pretty much every opponent that they've faced. Uh, they're outscoring teams 144 to zero. So, uh, I mean, I, granted, it, they weren't going up against you know juggernauts or anything, but I think this industrial team is a little bit different from what they've been facing. Uh, like you said, Gabe, industrial coming off that big win over Shiner a couple weeks ago, uh, they're now two and one. Um, so I'm, I think really I'm interested to see if uh, you know this Tidehaven defense can you know play up to the level that, that they've been playing at these past few weeks. Uh, I don't I don't believe they're going to hold industrial scoreless. Uh, you know, when you have uh, Ashton Garza at quarterback who can run the ball pretty well and, you know, pass it, uh, you know, uh, on the same level. So I think, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, what that, that tight haven defense can do. And then obviously on offense they're going to probably, uh, you know, lean heavy on uh, Joseph Dodds. Um, uh, and then and then Kale Russell at Q, uh, QB. So I think it'll be an interesting game to see, uh, you know, what team is able to come out on top. Yeah, Tidehaven runs a pretty complimentary offense. They do a lot of play-action stuff. They have some good receivers. Uh, I'd be shocked if their scoreless streak for the season continues defensively. Uh, not exactly a hot take there, but I'm interested to see, you know, hey, for Industrial, an opportunity for them to, you know, really make a statement themselves. And for Tidehaven, you know, opportunity to show, hey, we're, you know, we are that good. We are a team that, you know, should be taken seriously as state championship contenders. That's how, you know, that's how they see themselves. I will be in Shiner for Shiner and East Bernard. I think what I'm looking for most, look, Shiner's 0-3, but the three losses are not, you know, bad by any stretch. They lost to Hallettsville, who is really, really good. They lost, they lost to, I think it was Poth last week, who Poth is really, really good. And they, lo- they lost to Industrial in a really tight game, you know, the week, the week prior to that. Um, in a game that was just kind of wild. It was a defensive lineman interception at the end, and we were heading to OT, and, it, you know, Industrial took it, and credit to them. I want to see for Shiner. I, talk, I saw them in a scrimmage against Tidehaven, and Bedeker knew this was a young team that was going to get better as the year went on. I want to see improvement. I want to see the signs that they are getting better because, you know, that Shiner doesn't play to win regular season games or win district games. They, they play to win playoff games. They want to go deep into the playoffs. So I want to see, you know, Carson Schutte's back there at quarterback, Bedeker coaching these guys up. I want to see the improvement for Shiner. Mike, this is a team you cover quite a bit. I, I, am I wrong in thinking that, look, that's just what I want to see. I want to see the improvement from, you know, when I saw them about a month ago in the scrimmage to watching them this Friday. I want to see, okay, how much better are they? How much better are they getting week to week with this, you know, younger group of guys? Yeah, that and uh, what's interesting to me is Shiner opens district against Ganado. Mm-hmm. East Bernard just defeated Ganado. 
So what's, what's it going to be interesting is here is how uh, Shiner does against East Bernard because that will be kind of a measuring stick when they go into district against Ganado because from what we've seen so far, obviously Refurio, you know, stands out. But behind Refurio, you know, there are three other playoff spots there. And ha- how is that going to play out? And that's kind of what I'm curious to see. Yeah, I, again, for Shiner, it is just such a young team. So it is, you know, it's football. It's natural for everyone to kind of overreact. And people look at Shiner 0-3, and, and some people are like, oh, my gosh, what is happening? Like, this is not the end of the this is not the end of the world over there. So I, I want to see just how much better this team is getting. You know, I saw them a month ago, but then how much better they're getting week to week as well. That's an interesting angle as well. Uh, I think 35-27 was the final with East Bernard and Ganado. How does Shiner – I mean, you can't, you know, do football math necessarily, but how does Shiner measure up going against that? That'll be interesting to see. Now we'll wrap it up for our previews of week four of the high school football slate. We're going to hear this message from Thrivent Financial. Then we're going to talk some volleyball. Uh, we have a number one team in the region. We have had them for a month. We'll talk more about that in a moment. Stay tuned. Fairly quick. 102 in a row. That is freaking nuts. It is. It and they, they have a freshman setter. Yeah. Man. Did, uh, did it West get me by Flower Bluff? Did yeah, 3 0. Bluff is usually. Are they pretty good? Bluff is good in volleyball typically. The South Zone is with, with Vets uh-huh. and Bluff. The South Zone is the tougher of the two. Um,. I mean, the north it'll come. It should come down to west and GP. And we are back, episode fifty-three of the grid. We're gonna talk some volleyball here. I was at Goliad last night, and got I, you know I can barely get out of bed a hundred and two days in a row. Uh, so to do anything a hundred and two times in a row is remarkable. Goliad is up to one hundred and two district wins in a row following Tuesday night's three zero victory over Taft, twenty-five seven, twenty-five ten, twenty-five ten. The uh, guys, I got to tell you what most stood out to me. So, you know, we've talked about this with other sports. You know, we talked about it in football where when a team beats another team comfortably like that, it's hard to take a ton away from the game. You, you know, you're not going to learn a whole lot about a team because usually there's a talent disparity or whatever. The What stood out most to me in Goliad is it's the third set. They're up, so, you know, something like 16 to 5 or 16 to 6. And Jess Odom is still on the floor coaching her girls, setting the standard of we gotta we gotta do this better. We gotta we gotta pass better. We gotta have quicker feet. We gotta, you know, be more crisp in our attack. And that's how you become as consistent as Goliath has become, is not being sat you know, upholding the standard and keeping the standard to standard, regardless of what the uh, regardless of what the scoreboard says, regardless of what the opponent is. So that's what really stood out to me from Goliath yesterday of just 102 wins in a row that you know they intend to make that what it'll be 113 or something like that at the end of the year but to keep you know for the program to keep coaching for the coaches and players the synergy of hey we still have a lot better to get we're not playing our best right now that stood out to me because I think for high school kids and especially for Goliad they play three freshmen and three sophomores they get major court time so to see a young team like that buy into that message you know impressive for me and speaking of Goliad Number one in the TGCA, the Texas Girls Coaches Association, 
The 3A volleyball poll, Goliad is number one. They have been for four weeks now. So that'll be, I mean, Goliad has been uh, one of the top teams in the, they've been one of the top teams in the region for a while now. They're trending towards that way again this year. Their last four games, they've beaten Quero, they've beaten El Campo, they've beaten Victoria West, and they've beaten Gregory Portland. So that, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of good wins there. And I'm sure their last loss, 2-1 to St. Joseph in a tournament. We talked about St. Joseph on the show before. They are really good. Not a bad loss by any stretch. At number 10 in 4A, the Calhoun Sandys. They're 21-5, and I believe, or 22-5. and Re- Really, really good team in their own right. Jeremiah, you talked about them a couple weeks ago. Like this, you know, this is the team worth mentioning. You know, number 10 in the state. We haven't been able to get them at home yet this year. They're always on the road. They're always somewhere, but they're starting district play, I believe, next week. Uh, looking forward to kind of seeing them as the season progresses because they've been, you know, they've been one of the very best teams in the area. And in 2A, a couple teams we've seen this year, Shiner at number 17 and Schulenberg at number 22. They play, they are in the same district, obviously. They will match up October 6th at Shiner and October 24th at Schulenberg. Those two matches likely to determine the district championship over there. So looking forward to seeing that one play out. And then next week, Victoria East, Victoria West, open district play, both first year head coaches, both their first time going through the district schedule. They've got, you know, I think, uh, I know West has a game on Friday. I'm not sure what East schedule is. Uh, Jeremiah, you've, you've gotten to see the Titans a couple of times this year. What are you hope, you know, what are you looking for for Victoria East as they, you know, get ready to play North zone. We go back to the zones in, in volleyball, North zone play. They got a uh, Victoria East, Victoria West, Gregory Portland, Corpus Christi Miller, Corpus Christi Ray, uh, Jeremiah, once you get in the zone play, what are you looking to see from the Titans as they, you know, under first-year coach Shelby Spradley? Yeah, I think it's kind of similar to what you were saying with Shiner football. Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen them in, uh, I would say, about a month. But, uh, you know, in, to start the season, they were really young, a lot of new players. So I think, uh, you know, when I cover them next, I just want to see, you know, the young players kind of progress and um, – and, uh, you know, just kind of mature on the court, uh, you know, not make as many mistakes as they did in those few games that I saw them. Um, but, I mean, they've had good wins. Uh, Victoria East, they actually beat Shiner in a tournament a few few weeks ago. So, you know, they're, they're, they're capable of, you know, put, putting up some numbers and, you know, beating some good teams. Um, but they're 12-12 and 12 right now. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I think I just want to see them kind of progress, uh, you know, when district play starts. Yeah, and I know for Victoria West, they've kind of had some injuries over the past couple of weeks. They, you know, they went to Goliad a couple of weeks ago, and Goliad handled them three three zero, which is something that you know a little surprising to Gomez, despite you know obviously Goliad's been outstanding this year. They're now twenty four and three, but getting healthy, and then also this, you know for Victoria West is a young team as well, and they've kind of had you know. They've had different. They've had different players. You know, have to step in and take different roles. I want to see the consistency, game to game, set to set from Victoria West. There's been uh, not. Not that there's been drops in effort, but it's, you know, with a young team, you're going to run into some inconsistency, and that's what it's been with them. So I want to see as they get in the district play, as these players are no longer, you know, at a certain point, you're no longer a first year player. You're just a varsity athlete out there. So I want to see at some point Victoria West make that transition. Uh, you know, they won the North Zone last year. They're interested in defending that title. Um, Gregory Portland, Victoria East, probably the other two schools that are uh, that will be standing in their way the most. So looking forward to seeing that play out as district zone play begins next Tuesday. And, well, guys, that will wrap us up for episode 53 of The Grid. Um, we appreciate you guys for tuning in. We're excited to get back out on the road for some more football this week. 
And uh, please tune back in next week. And uh, all football stories, of course, on the Victoria Advocate website. So please uh, check out our content there. Looking forward to talking to you guys again next week.